American United has a convenient branch right at the VA Medical Center, along with eight other locations across Utah. As a member, our veterans get the best rates on loans and savings products. Learn more at amucu.org. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara, cold-cut combo, veggie delight, or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Doug Jackson. When you have events that are outside the box and, and they, they appeal to different people, and all of a sudden you can get the audience of, of some corporation that never was interested in talking to you about vision needs in Uganda, uh, it opens doors because those are the things that kind of get them excited. That Not everybody's excited about our work. Then all of a sudden, new doors are open, and it's been great for us. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview rocket scientists, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. If you like what you hear, we're also going to be releasing exclusive bonus materials like PDF checklists, reports, and presentations, but only for members of the collective. If you're interested in those, as of this recording, you can still join for free on the Ideation Collective website, which is iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. Also, before getting rolling, we want to invite you to consider helping the charity our founders started called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the United States and abroad. One of our foreign projects we're working on right now is helping to build an aftercare orphanage in Cusco, Peru. To learn more about that, please come to the Child Rescue section on our website, iCollective.co slash child rescue. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Doug, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So um, really excited when Lindsay Hadley gave us a call and said that we need to have you on. And uh, specifically, um, you know, as a guy who runs a charity, I'm fascinated by people that have figured out sustainability and the finances and the effectiveness. It's key. And uh, you guys have pretty fancy event coming up with with some big sports stars we were going to hear all about. Um, But to begin with, tell people what Charity Vision is. We are a... uh, a third world, a developing world, excuse me, developing world uh, medical charity. We do surgeries primarily uh, over our 30-year history. We used to concentrate on, on, on surgeries of all types, anything that we could kind of get our hands around that within one surgery you made a life-changing you know, uh, uh, effect on, these, on the patients. More recently, we've focused in on eyes. And so now I would say that we are a vision uh, charity where we, we focus on the visual needs of those in the developing world, which there are many. And now your family started this 30 years ago, right? Right. Well, actually, it began even before 30 years ago. Mm. I hate to say that I'm older than 30, but uh, my voice probably sounds, you know, maybe Super a little bit. Super young. You're I'm like a teenager. Little, yeah, yeah, there we go. But I was actually born in Algeria 52 years ago, and that's when it all began. It was kind of just by chance. My father, who's a physician, had an opportunity to go over and do some charity work, and, and that kind of got into the blood of my, of our, my entire family and my, my parents especially. So... We began doing charity work um, a long time ago, but 30 years ago, uh, a more um, sustainable and uh, or, uh, organized, organized, you know, thought through plan of having our to do our own thing, doing our own way. I guess yeah, that was 30 years ago in the Philippines. Okay, 
And um, so tell us more about the model because I, you know, we were talking before we got started here about, you know, how so many of like the mission trips things, they, they're great, it's a good feeling, but it maybe doesn't reach the level of effectiveness it could. Tell us about tying into the locals and, right. and that right. shift. And it's, it's, it's key. It's, it's critical for who we are, especially like I said, our, as a family, we would go overseas and spend a month or a weekend or wherever, whatever the, that particular outreach mission was. And, and, and as a, as a young teenager pulling someone's teeth and, or working in the operating room, I thought it was all just fascinating. I loved it. My father, however, as the physician, uh, began to come away, I think, a little dissatisfied because he, he realized that he was there just, just for a few days, just kind of a Band-Aid you know, on a wound. Many times he didn't speak the language. He didn't really understand the pathology. They had some medicine, but it was limited. So he'd give somebody something and say, well, this will last you for a week. You know, did we really did we really make a difference? And in many ways, when it's in a group of, of foreigners coming into a location and not involving the locals, um, you almost create a dependency on the on the local population. They're waiting for that next group to come in. When's the next group from Europe going to come in? I'm going to wait and I'll have my teeth cleaned then. You know, instead of instead of going to the local. Uh, established doctors and maybe helping them to establish themselves and create the infrastructure and the capacity that you really need to grow in that community. So, so that, that was what he was seeing. And so when he had the opportunity to go to the Philippines for a few years and, of course, the need was there, he decided, hey, I'm going to be here long enough. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this the way I think it should be done. Let's, let's do it and do everything around the locals. Let's find local hospitals. Let's find local doctors that have the capacity, that have the heart to do this kind of work, and that will do it year-round. They know the culture. They know the language. They know the pathology. They're there when that patient goes back home to their hut with a dirt floor and gets an infection, which is going to happen. Well, they can come back in a week or two, and the doctor's still there, and he, he can help them. So uh, that's kind of the, the, how it all began, is using the locals. It's a little different paradigm. And uh, at first, I think the thought was, this is going to be tough. We have to somehow... Uh, find guys that are willing to, and girls and gals, um, that are willing to, to give us their time and their talents for free. Uh, but what we found out was that there was a lot of capacity there, and uh, they had the skills. Yeah, th- this is the part that I love about your story is like finding the unused resource and turning it into profitability. Right, right. Because they don't have insurance. They don't have – They don't have – yeah, and no insurance pay patients, so they have this capacity. A lot of the doctors we talk to, they're in their own private practice in the morning, and they'll see two or three patients because that's all that can afford to come see them. Um, and then they, they just – they go to the, maybe the government hospital for the afternoon. Literally, down in Peru, they're getting paid like eight bucks – for, to spend the afternoon in the government hospital where they do absolutely nothing. Uh, there's, no, there's no equipment. There's no supplies there. And they see the, very, the poor of the poor, and they kind of look, look at them and pat their head and send them on. Um, and so what we found is that there's this excess capacity, and there is a desire for them to do some more. And uh, so we, we utilize that excess capacity, and we also um, married that with the idea that, you know, these guys all have skill levels that are far beyond what they're capable to do in their own practices. When they come out of medical school, they've been taught how to use certain pieces of equipment, but they have no way of buying that equipment. And so even though they know how to use a, a YAG laser, they know how to use a FACO emulsifier, they know how to use these, these more uh, uh, modern yeah, pieces of equipment, but they can't afford them because there's no market. There's no capital market for them to go and borrow anything. So that became our, 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 the key to our success. We thought, okay, we can, we can give them what they need so they can use the skills which they've been taught and spent you know, time and energy to learn how to do. And they can, with, those, with those pieces of equipment, now they can, they can make money. It's, you know, it's to, have, to do a, a YAG laser, 
Um, now to have Yaglazer in your own community where the people that have money can now come to you. And, no, what and have, I, guys like me don't know what Yaglazer is. Okay. What is well, it's just a more of a, a modern piece of equipment. It's, a, it's actually a laser to the eye. You can go in puncture holes in the back of the eye or the front of and wherever you want to relieve pressure. Sometimes you can even uh, uh, kind of melt together things that have, maybe if there's a tear or something. How much does something like that cost? It's going to cost $35,000 for a nice okay. Yaglazer, something that they could never get their hands on. And uh, if we can come into them and say, okay, we'll get you a YAG laser. Um, but it, in exchange for that, we want you to spend your afternoons. Don't go down to the, the, the National Hospital where you twiddle your thumbs. Let's start doing some charity work. And they're thrilled. Most doctors overseas go into medicine because they want to help the poor. They aren't going into medicine because they want to get wealthy. Uh, but so they have this desire. And we can, if we can now start – we call it humanitarian capitalism where we can start saying we're, we're going to melt together – Capitalism and the, the need and the desire to be successful and be able to provide for your family with also this need and desire to help the poor. And so we come in as the middleman and say, okay, here's the piece of equipment you need. Here's some of the we'll, – we'll even come in sometimes and say, hey, you know, you, for this practice to make it, not only do you need that laser, not only do you need those things that will, will attract the patient that can pay, um, but you also need to have a practice that looks and feels – clean and modern so we'll go in sometimes we'll do a facelift for them we'll, 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 we'll put new lighting in we'll repaint it we'll put some new flooring in and we'll teach them how to attract the paying patient uh, we want our doctors to be successful and the more successful they are actually the better partner they are for us and and the word starts to spread and that's where we began in the philippines but now we're in 25 countries because and and we've never gone out ourselves and tried to go to a different country but we get contacted from Colleagues of these of our doctors in other countries saying, "Hey, I, I heard what you did down in Haiti. I heard what you did in in Kampala. I heard what you did down in Peru. Can you come to my country? I, I'd love to do the same thing." And there's, I have colleagues who would love to be able to to help the poor if you'll help us at the same time. And we're more than happy to do that. We know that that uh, a successful doctor in that community is really the, the, the long term answer to this humanitarian need. It's not the group of guys coming in, you know, every second, you know, week of October, you know, that come from the United States and do free surgeries. That's not going to solve anything. That just really perpetuates the need because it, it is damaging the local economy. Well, I, I love, I don't know, running a 501c3 last six, seven years. <laughs> I'm acutely aware of the problems of running 501c3s, yeah. right? Uh-huh. I love the idea that people are able to cover the mortgage and do and help. You know, like there's so many people that have a big heart, but like they can't take their good intentions to the grocery store. You right, know? right, right, right. Well, it's been great for us because, as, as you know, when you're running a 50133, any charity, you live and die on donations. And it gets so old. It's very old to go and ask for money and ask for money. And, and you're always worried about what's going to happen. What if the economy tanks next, you know, next, next fall? Uh, so you're thinking, well, are we going to just live and die on the U.S. economy and, and helping these poor? So coming up with a model that's sustainable – um, kind of, you know, e- e- you know, eases that burden because you think, oh, you know, if 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 we had to, uh, if if the economy goes bad here in the United States, where most of our donors are located, the practices down in, in Peru, they could sustain themselves. We might not do a lot of growth, but they could sustain themselves for the for the time being. So that's important. And also, the the fun part about having a sustainable model is most of our donors get it. It's 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 capitalism. It's it's entrepreneurism. It it makes sense. And so when you go to a donor and say, "Hey, with your money, I can create something that's going to sustain itself and go on forever and ever and ever," uh, what what donor doesn't get excited about that? As opposed to saying, "Well, I'm going to give you something today, and I know you'll be back next month because you'll need to keep it going." So that's a it's a fun aspect of what we're doing. Yeah. 
Um, well, and I want to talk more about the innovation of creating a model like this that isn't just the endless treadmill of more donations, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but I feel like, you know, for me, oversimplification of entrepreneurship, social entrepreneurship, everything is like have something awesome, you know, innovated something legitimately awesome. But the other half is figuring out how to get people to want it from you, getting, you know, figuring out how to get donors to find out you exist, you know? Right. And, and then also there's the leadership of not having those systems break down, which right. is the human limits. But you guys are doing some interesting things on having the rest of Americans find out you're doing this. Tell us about the event you have coming up. Well, we, we decided a, a long time ago that, uh, that nobody likes to go to banquets and breakfasts and, you know, it, it's just a, you know, you say, oh my gosh, I got to go to one of those. And, and so we thought, well, let's have events that people really want to go to. And wouldn't it be fun if you, you wanted to bring your family with you and your kids? So we, we have a number of events with it. We're tr- very family friendly. It, it's, it's much better for me to go home to my wife and say, hey, I got to go to this event. And we all get to go and let's, we're going to, we're going to ride go-karts tonight. You know, we're going to have a fun time as opposed to, uh, I got to go to this event, and yeah, we've sponsored a table, and we're going to listen to this, this speaker. So we, we we tried to think outside the box and make it more enjoyable for our donors. So uh, you're referring to um, our fight night. We're trying to get this fight night as a, as an annual event. Last year we had a lot of success, a lot of fun with Mitt Romney and, and Evander Holyfield. They came and fought, and and uh, we also I have to remind people that it was actually a boxing event. Though we had four other fights, and we actually had a world championship. A belt was awarded that night, so it was real boxing. And it was fun because most people in the audience had never been to a boxing, including myself, and they're fun events. And when you're there in a black tie and everybody's dressed up and it's, it has this elegant feeling to it with great food and, and then you have Mitt and Evander in the ring at some point, <laughs> uh, it, it's just, it's just, it's fun. It's enjoyable. It's good food. It's a great evening. And so we're going to continue that, of course. That was a, it was a winning. Yeah. Tell us about event. this year. So this year we have, uh, soon after that event was, was, was done, we had a number of people that, that contacted us that we want to be involved next year. A lot of Hollywood types, which is exciting for us to hear. Unfortunately, it seems like a lot of the, you know, they have their busy schedules. And so I'm not sure who, who's going to end up being there this year. But we, it was fun to get that, that recognition. Jimmy Fallon had us on his show a couple times, and he wants to be involved this year. But this year, so we, almost immediately we were contacted by the Oscar De La Hoya group, Golden Boy Productions, which is a big boxing outfit, I guess. I'm really not into boxing that much, but I, I need to get more into it. For holding events that people hear about yeah, around yeah, the world. I know, yeah. I know. It is around the world. I was, I was contacted by a guy in Patna, India, and we're doing a program with him. And, and how did he get a hold of us? He saw some article about Evander and Mitt in the ring trying to cure blindness. I heard about it all over the world, this fight last year. So it was, it, it did have a reach, but, um, you know yeah. what, can we pause for a second yeah. on that point? Yeah. To me, this is important because, <clears throat> you know, in the charity world specifically, there's so many shoulds, right? You get all these people saying like, Oh, everybody in the charity should work for free. And every charity should just conglomerate with every other charity. And we should all be happy friends and this should be the boy Scouts and everybody gets a turn and we should all, you know, be the United Nations together. Right, uh, right, right, right. And, um, and people should just donate because it's a good cause. You shouldn't have to do something to get attention. Isn't it enough to fix people's eyesight? And then it's like, yeah, those are nice theories. In the real world, getting Jimmy Fallon to talk about it has people in other countries want us to come over. You know, like, I, I love the, like, that you guys are actually, like, that would be beautiful. Great. Love it. Love your theories. In the real world, we're going to take what works for real marketing. Yeah. We're just going to use it for good. 
Exactly right. Exactly right. And you know, and having events like this has been a, a, a wonderful, wonderful for us because it opens a lot of doors. We're having a big cycling event, for example, uh, also this summer. Where we're, it's a, it's kind of a Ragnar. It's a, it's a, it's a relay, twenty-four hour, thirty-six hour, nonstop relay race from uh, Moab to St. George through some of the most beautiful canyon country. And it's like this fight night when you have events that are outside the box. And they, they appeal to different people. And all of a sudden you can get the audience of, of some corporation that never was interested in talking to you about vision needs in Uganda. That's just not, not what they're interested in. But you say, hey, let's have a, let's have a bike race and, and your local team can be a part of it. Or let's, let's do some of the most you – know, this crazy event and let's have a boxing match and you can come black tie and you'll be able to bring all your VIP uh, providers or, 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 or customers to it. Uh, it opens doors because those are the things that kind of get them excited. That not everybody's excited about our work, but if we can if we can package it in a way that that fits for them, it works for them for their marketing, or for their PR, or for their advertising, or for their internal customers with their even their employees. Then all of a sudden, new doors are opened, and it's been great for us because we we can get and have meaningful conversations. And eventually, they'll, their eyes will be open to what we do overseas. But this is the way we've opened a lot of doors by having these different well, kind of activities. New slash, it also pays for more YAG lasers. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, I mean? exactly. Right? Okay, so tell us who's involved. So this year. this year, so like I said, Oscar De La Hoya contacted us, being great to work with. So he'll be up here, uh, well-known boxer. And this uh, is in. Give us the location and the date. It's going to be here at the Rail, which is a wonderful event. Kind of a kind of a gritty yet yet classy uh, 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 location. It's kind of a warehouse feel, so it, it works perfect for the boxing matches. And in Salt Lake, June, Salt Lake, Utah. Salt Lake, Utah. Yeah, on June 11th. Okay, so it's on a Saturday night. So uh, and uh, we're doing it in connection. Also, I think uh, Mitt has been nice enough to. He has a big E2 summit that he has a big financial summit that he has up in Deer Valley every year. So we've kind of we've joined forces with him. So it's it's a some some recreation for the guys up there, which are a lot of huge names that normally we don't get uh, the here in Utah very often. So it's it's it made sense to, for us to have it that weekend. So it'll be Oscar de la Hoya and then Mario Lopez. Uh, he was our MC last year. And I think we'll have Mitt BRMC this year, and he was excited. He loved it, and he does a lot of boxing. And so, we kind of floated the idea by him, and he grabbed on onto it right away. And he he wants to be our guy in the ring. So it'll be Oscar De La Hoya and uh, Mario Lopez. We're going to have kind of a Latin theme this year, uh, and so it'll be fun. It'll be a lot of fun. That's great. Um, and we'll ha- and we'll have some luchadors. We're going to lat, and we'll have some other real 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 time boxing. And I hope we're going to have another. World Championship, uh, you know, kind of present the belt type of an event there as well. So it's a, it's a, it's a fun event. It's it's more fun. I had a woman tell me last year. She said I had no intention of ever going to a boxing match, but as she was walking out, she said, "But I will definitely come back this year because it's way more fun than I anticipated." And these matches, they go they're pretty quick. It's not like they're long drawn out. You're looking at these two guys running around the ring. They go fast. There's a lot of action, and then it's over, and you get another one. That's a riot. Um, so. Had you done stuff like this in the past, or what? What have been some of your strategies in the past, previous to to this type of event? Well, as far as events, mm-hmm. well, try, trying to do the outside the box. We we have never wanted to do the the breakfast or the gala or that kind of thing. We had an event that was kind of popular before we 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 had a we went to one of the very nice museums here in Salt Lake City, and we invited the the best of the well known artists uh, in the region that they would come, and we did a. A uh, little thing where they would spend an hour creating a piece of art, and then we'd auction it off at the end of the night. And the people that came were people that loved art, and they could—they were just fascinated with the fact that they could come and watch it be created and talk to the artist as he was creating it. And so we did that. That was kind of fun. 
Um, we've done some, uh, like I said, we, we started doing this, this event where we, um, we have these go-karts, an indoor go-kart track, and that's a lot of fun. And that, that's when we, we gear to the kids, big arcade there. That's, that's a fun event. We've taken people overseas, of course. That's, that's been a fun event, too, where we say, hey, why don't you come and just watch what we do? And that's, uh, we've charged them a, a pretty penny, but they're happy to come and have this experience, and it, it, it converts them to our cause. Very so. cool. Well, um, this event... So, for instance, let's talk about Jimmy Fallon. I think he's the funniest guy on TV. Yeah, yeah, what was that I, experience I wish, like? I wish he would get in the ring. It's too bad. He, <laughs> That'd Dave. be legit. <laughs> no, it's one, that was that was wonderful. And let me tell you, as a, as somebody who run, running a, a, a charity, we all need this experience. I, I wish it upon everybody, quite frankly, to have Jimmy Fallon open the show up and say, "Oh, tonight we're going to talk about this charity. It's the most amazing charity in the world. Charity Vision. You know, these guys are doing great things." And he said our name t- two or three times, and I and I sat there watching this thing with my wife in our bedroom, and my my, my, my mouth just you know I couldn't get over it. He, Jimmy Fallon just said our name. Can you believe it? And he, and he said something good, and then, and then Mick comes on. And it, oh, it was uh, it was it was wonderful, and uh, everybody needs to experience that. Uh, but here again, I think you need to think outside the box. Jimmy Fallon's not going to talk about a gala. He's not going to talk about some run-of-the-mill normal event. It has to be kind of crazy, strange event with some that, that has some you know. Some sex appeal to it that people want to hear about. People yeah. want to, you know, it makes the news. I can call anybody in the country almost now and ask for a favor, and I'll say chair division. They'll say, oh, chair, who? Oh, I haven't heard of you. And I'll say, we had the, uh, we had that fight with Evander Holyfield and Mitt Romney last year. Oh, that. Oh, yeah. We definitely want to get a And all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> we have a friends. little bit of credibility. Yeah. And we have people who are willing to talk to us. So it's been good, and that's uh, that's been key. Is to try to think outside the box and do something a little more fun and. Because Jimmy Fallon is selling news. He's selling entertainment. And so if I want to be on his show, I have to have something that works for him. Well, and there's literally brain science. I mean, there's a great book um, called Pitch Anything that goes over like that we have a chemical reaction in our brain to novelty. Like we like something new. We like to find out something we didn't know before. The brain actually enjoys that, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of great marketing books out these days, but um, some of my favorites are from a guy who got big 30 years ago, Jack Trout. He wrote a book called Positioning that's super famous. And um, in his book, Differentiate or Die, he talks about how like the cardinal sin is blending in, right? Yeah, yeah. And think about, you know, when you offer somebody to come to a rubber chicken dinner, like you have not, this is not newsworthy. This does not... Like you blend in, mm-hmm. right? right? Hence the reason nobody from the Jimmy Fallon show is calling to talk about the good you're doing in the world. Right. You know, right. just because you're doing good in the world is not enough, you know? Right, right. Um, so I'm, I'm well, you need, well, you need a story. I mean, yeah. you need a story. I think, I think that we've been lucky enough to have a story because we went about something a little differently. It's paid off very nicely for us because um, our story is a little different. I can say, hey, you know, we, we do it very differently. We have a different outcome. Our, our cost per surgery is $25 on average. And that includes all of our overhead. Now, all the expenses we have in the organization. Uh, we're doing 60,000 surgeries. We have 25 countries. I mean, and we're doing it in a sustainable way where people are coming to us. Um, if you have a story, uh, that's critical. And a lot of people that come to me that want to talk about an idea, maybe for another charity, or they want to just pick your brain. Uh, lots of times, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. How do you differentiate? What are you doing? What are you doing that's going to grab your donor and say, "Wow, I want to be involved with this"? Yeah. If if you have nothing that that, that does that, and, and and we love the entrepreneur angle because that grabs. 
most of our donors are entrepreneurs. They're people that are successful in life, and they understand this whole concept. And so when we share it with them, it, they gravitate right to it. Oh, I, yes, that's how I made money, money. I can see how this is important, and this is how your doctors can be, make their money as well, is teaching them how to run a business, teaching them how to attract the, the private pay patients. Without that ability, the doctors all end up in Miami as nurses. I mean, quite frankly, that's, that's what our big challenge is, is the brain drain in these countries because – these doctors don't know how or they don't have the capacity to make a living, and so they end up just going to Europe or going to the United States, and they, they cash in their, their, their medical license for, to be a nurse here because they can make more money here than they can there because they don't have the ability. So, so we go and teach them how, to, how can you make money here, and, and, and in exchange for us helping you to make money and, and, and to be a, a, an important part of your, your, your community, you're going to do some more charity work. And it's, it's interesting because when we first bring it to them, they, some of them are skeptical. You know, we have to do this charity work, and, I'll, and I always say to them, you will find find that your best marketing and the best thing you can do to grow your practice is to do charity work. They don't have this concept of being involved in the community and, and being so, getting their name out there because isn't it amazing? All of a sudden, the local radio station is covering them and they're in the newspaper and they never dreamt of that, but that happened because they were doing charity work. And so it's great marketing for them to build their practice. Okay. This advice I'm giving regular entrepreneurs all the time is I see like, find something you're really passionate about and get sincerely involved. Like, I love that your story, yeah, maybe it starts with, <laughs> you know, a politician or, and, a, <laughs> and a pro boxer. Or a, uh, you know, if everybody doesn't know um, the guy who's boxing this year from Saved by the Bell and these yeah, other yeah. things. Entertainment right? Tonight. And, and there's a reason why that when he worked well for us because he, he hosts Entertainment Tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not a bad person to have in the ring, <laughs> sure, the host right? of Entertainment Tonight. <laughs> so, uh, you know, put a movie star in Oscar De La Hoya. Like, this, yeah, is, this yeah. is naturally newsworthy, right? But it's great that the story doesn't end there. That you, you know what I mean? Like, you get the attention, you get the intrigue, like, you get everybody's so busy, short attention spans, whatever. You stop, you stop people in their tracks. But then you've got more than just that, and you can tell them all the stats you just said, and and the real help is is I think critical to anybody that wants to do something meaningful, right? Yeah, yeah. The serious donors they um, they, they want to know the they want to know yeah. the metrics. They they want to know. Is, is Maybe you found me because I was coming out to E two or I, whatever, right, right? Right. But now I want to let's get down to the brass tacks. Are you is this for real? Um, and and are you doing more than everybody else with good intentions? Right. Like right. the sustainability and right, these things. Right. Um, so you know, there's a lot of folks. Um, on the entrepreneur side that are trying to get attention, they're trying to get connections, right? And so often it's from a me-focused thing. This is advice that I give all the time. I say, hey, listen, it's amazing all the good things that happened for my career because of child rescue, right? Like you meet somebody, you start telling about helping uh, prevent child sex trafficking or rescuing kids or paying for the orphanage. They like automatically assume you're a good person. Right, right. <laughs> they don't know anything about you. It's totally, you know, you haven't totally snowed, right? But, no, but it's like they make all these assumptions in your favor, Especially if you're like, it's not like, oh, I donate to this once a year. Like you're legitimately spending time. You're, you're actually deeply involved. It's like from a selfish perspective, it's a huge career opportunity. Oh, yeah. Thing is, there's no way it can stay selfish. When you actually get involved and you actually start helping. It changes you. It totally changes people, you know? I think about and, and, and there's been a lot of studies. Uh, um, well, Harvard did a couple. I'm, I'm trying to think of some of the if I could throw out some names, but um, that humanitarian work and, and charity work uh, drives us and, and makes us more successful. And actually, there's been some studies. Of what, what, what came first? Was it charitable? Was this guy you know humanitarian minded and trying to do good good things with his life? 
and then became successful or as he became successful and therefore had the money and time to go out and do some charity work. And, and, and studies are showing really it's just the opposite. It's the guys that get out there and gals that get out there that, that do good with their life, that are involved in the community. And I think it's a lot of it's what you just mentioned. They, they, have a, they create a persona, uh, a credibility. People want to be involved with them. People want to do things with them. Uh, those people are the ones that eventually become successful. And they find that it's actually the more charity and the more involvement in the community and the more humanitarian-minded you are, the more likely you are to be, become successful. And the, that becomes – the service comes before the money. Uh, but it's interesting because a lot of people that I talk to all say, oh, I don't have the money. I, I really want to get involved and do something like you got, you're doing, but I just don't have the money. And so they're waiting to – they put the, the – you know, they do it backwards. Okay, this is me for the first few years. I had these huge ambition goals of what my bank account was going to be, right? And um, mergers and acquisitions at Citigroup, and I realized I want to own my own private equity group and all these things, right? And uh, eventually, when we started, it was just because, like I said, hey, these kids can't wait for me to reach my goals. We just got to do whatever we can do now, yeah. right? And it's interesting, like, how drastically different my goals are. Like, I wish I could take credit for having been a better person, you know? Um, especially meeting the end client, like, you know, in our case, actual trafficking survivors or spending time with the cops that are doing the rescues. Right. And you, you get to hear the firsthand story of what it was like to help that 11 year old. Like that's like world changing. It was, it was for me. Right. Um, and there's the depressing parts where you cry about stuff like that, but the highs are actually higher. I feel like than the business highs, like, Believe me, I'm I'm totally not going to turn down the billionaire status if somebody wants to bestow <laughs> it on me or something, right? Right. But um, it is – I feel like it's an unfair advantage that is basically free to entrepreneurs today to start passionately and in getting involved in making the world better with – you know, you talk about unused capacity. Spend a little less time in front of the TV or spend a little less time uh, playing video game or something, right? And, right, and, right. And do something that actually has an effect. Well, and you draw the attention and you, you start to rub shoulders with a lot of other successful people that have already reached that point in life. And now all of a sudden I'm working with uh, all the successful people in Salt Lake City. I, I feel like I know a whole lot of them and I'm working you know, daily and calling them daily. I have a relationship with them. And quite frankly, if I wanted to, to you know, just give up and hang up my spurs here and stop doing charity work, um, there's been a, many opportunities with, because of who I work with all, on a regular basis that I, have, that I could do other things. I could, I could, I could turn on that entrepreneurial Completely switch agree. very easily because now I know a lot of people. And, and like you said, their impression of me is all very good because they've seen me doing only the best of things. And, and, and so it, it opens doors. It opens doors if, if, if you want to use this to kind of open yeah. doors and, and get yourself. I think this is the name. episode of all the selfish reasons to help yeah. all the yeah. world, right? No, <laughs> but, <laughs> no, but I, I say it in a good way, like tongue in cheek. I think about how many millionaires my dad's age that – had I tried to get it, like, I don't qualify to get into their networking meetings. Do you know what I mean? Like, or the, right, like right. they were never going to spend time with me. They were never going to take time. But when somebody introduced me as, oh, hey, I really want to introduce you to Jess. This is what he does. All of a sudden they're, they're like, oh, oh, really? You do, t- what, what is that? Yeah, yeah, they want like to be they've, involved. They've reached a success in life and they actually, their priorities are changing and they're trying to do something different. You know, they've got all these other entrepreneurs begging for an investment or begging for this, trying to get time with them. And here, and you get, other and, people are giving me the intros. I don't even have right, to work for them, right? Right. Um, and uh, I don't know. Back to my thing of like, I love the marrying, taking for-profit sensibilities and making the world better with it. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys are great mentors for that. I mean, should you be just a nonprofit person, intentionally going out and pursuing more for-profit guys that made it, right. that want to give back now, they can improve and they can help spot the kind of you know capacity gaps that you guys right, optimized, right? Right. 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 
Um, well, listen, there's so many people that would like to have the Oscar De La Hoyas and the Mitt Romneys and the movie stars and the different sports stars attached to their thing. And, you know, there's the classic mistake of the email with this self-focused, we'd really like you to do this for me, of which those guys receive tons of. Right. What advice would you have about dealing with whether it's the business elite or the celebrities or, um, you know, to help them get involved and be part of what we do. And and just like respect for their time and handling them and, and maybe lessons you couldn't have learned except you've actually done it. So you learned it by doing it. Well, I think it's just, it it almost goes back to just like sales one oh one. Everything we do is sales. We, We have to sell our, our product. We have to sell our vision. We have to sell our cause. And in order to sell, you have to understand what benefits you, you are providing for your end user, your client, your whatever. Um, and so if I'm talking to a donor, if I'm talking to a, uh, Evander Holyfield who, who, who hadn't really been in the news so much lately and all of a sudden he saw that, Hey, here's an opportunity for me to become, to, you know, be part of something kind of big. I'm going to be on, he was on every show, every late night show. He was on there talking about this event. Um, so you, you I think you're you scratching to, his back too. Yeah, exactly. If it's not a win-win, it's, you're not going anywhere. And so I think it's important to understand who your market is and who your audience is and who your customer, your, your, your end user is and, and know that, that, okay, I, I have to sell this and package this in a way that is attractive to them. And I think people that don't catch that vision and understand that are, it's an uphill battle the whole time. Cause if it's just about help me, help me, help me, help me, you're not going to go anywhere. But if, let me help you with your goals. Let me help you. Hey, Mr. You know, big donor, uh, you know, let me help you fulfill your life's dream. Let me, what, what do you want to do with this success that you've had? How do you, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? If it's a Oscar de la Hoya, this is, Hey, this is, this is a great event, humanitarian. It's going to give you some great exposure doing, and, and, you know, and, and, and some kudos. And I think I can get you on some major shows. Would you, would you be part of this? Um, and like you said, I think at first you ha- you have to go about that, and, and eventually you have the opportunity at the appropriate time to maybe sell them more on what we're doing, and, and they can become a long term uh, fan of ours and maybe a donor. But to get in the door and to get the their audience, you have to know what 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 rings their bell and why how is why is this going to be good for them? Yeah, you know I think about our episode with Lindsay Hadley who introduced us, and she's talking about the same thing. She's like, these people are people. You know, we, we get this caricature of them from the media, but like they have stuff they want to do, but most people don't care about that. Most people are just coming to them, asking, asking, asking. Right. And that's what I'm hearing from you. It's yeah, just yeah. like, you know, don't just make assumptions, like hang out with them, connect with them, figure out what is actually a value to them. Um, and ask uh, them questions. Yeah. You, you ask them questions. You, you hear it all the time, but it's hard to do. It's hard. Before I, I, I was involved with the charity vision. Well, in the first few years, uh, I, I was all for free, right? I, now, I, now I do have a salary, and that's more than full time. But there was a few years, and they were in transitioning where I did. I, I went out and did sales consulting, and uh, I was and I was teaching these same principles on a regular basis, just basic principles. You know, the principle of you know, listen, ask questions before you start to sell, before you try to convince them. Some understand them a little. And I was dealing and talking with people that had been doing sales for, you know, three, four decades. And it was amazing to me how difficult that concept was. We all understand it, but it actually put it in practice. You know, uh, people, it's, it's hard for people to do that. They just uh, get nervous or I don't know what they do. They, they, they want to talk about themselves. Uh, it's easier to talk about yourself than to maybe ask questions and try to learn about somebody else. So it's a, it's a basic concept that I think is almost forgotten. When you think about like we, we on the show, we like to talk about achieving levels of mastery and, and conquering ourselves things, right? There's such a innate human, um, like almost like physical desire to move towards the things that will help us, right? 
And so the restraint, the delayed gratification, the long-term thinking to get genuinely interested in someone else previous to mm-hmm. having them, trying to get them interested in us. I mean, this is, you know, famous book a hundred years ago, how to win friends and influence yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. You know, he says the only way to get what you want is to help others get what they want. You it's, know, and it's, it couldn't be more true. My edit would be the most fun way to get what you want is help <laughs> others get what they want. Yeah. It actually is fun when you help someone. Oh yeah. When you genuinely help someone, it's a service and, and it creates a relationship and there's like a quality of life that goes up even if there's not a transaction involved, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, it's interesting you talk about listening. And there's a long-term relationship there. If you help them get what mm. they want and you, you, their life was benefited because of you, there's a connection. I mean, a, a real connection. That uh, Will you stand out as one of the few people that's not just a taker, right? Because right. they think about the people they've interacted with in the last couple of years. There's that guy that did that for me. He wasn't just asking, you know? And then that'd be hard to do, especially in my profession where it's all, it is about, <laughs> we are, we're giving, we're taking everything from this community and giving it to a community around the world. So it is a lot of that. And so to make sure it doesn't feel that way, uh, sometimes is a challenge. Yeah. You know, you think through the end experience though, and I'm not th- sure everybody in the nonprofit world puts as much thought into what's the experience of being part of my community and how much do you really get the feeling of the good that's done with your dollars and how much of the community and like, like how fun is it to do good with us? Right, you know, right. is it one more rubber chicken dinner or are we going to do something that <laughs> we do something that's it's, worth talking to the bet, buddies about? Monday morning? And you need, and you need to give them that, that information, the, you know, the stories and the pictures that they can talk about to their buddies. Cause that's what they want. They want to share it with their kids. Or, hey, look what we just did. Here's the story I just got. That's why taking him overseas is so, so powerful because you mentioned the, the tears and the emotions. Well, I, how many years have I seen this, but I still get emotional every time. And I don't see how you can't when you can see somebody who's, you know, you're an answer to years and years of prayers. They, they, they had nowhere else to turn. And all of a sudden now somebody else has just given them their sight back or, yeah. or whatever the, the surgery may have been at the time. It, it, it's, it's gratification beyond words. And it, it, it brings, you know, brings you to your knees and you're, you're, yeah. you're very emotional and it feels good. And so it's nice to have the, them experience that. Sure. So um, one of the things we're always asking guests is for advice for child rescue. Okay. So we want to get more people involved in either preventing child sex trafficking or helping in the recovery or helping in the aftercare, right? So you guys have experienced in Peru. We've recently partnered with this local, you know, partner with a Canadian charity and a local Peruvian charity running this orphanage. Now we're, this year we're going to raise money and try and build an extra building and expand it, right? Mm-hmm. So if you are giving us advice on how to have more Americans and Canadians and Europeans, whoever, help them want to come to Peru and, and shake hands with the kids and, and actually see it in person, whatever, or, uh, or, or just advice in general for us. What, what kind of things would you, if you were our management well, I, consultant? I, I, I would say that um, ha, not knowing a lot about child trafficking, um, but knowing how to do, do charities overseas, uh, one of our tenants is obviously we use the locals. Uh, it's been very important to a lot of these countries. Peru happens to be tons of red tape. The government in Peru is extremely difficult to work with. I'm firsthand knowledge of that one. Um, but a lot of a lot of the countries are similar. So we always say, if you can do anything overseas, you need to be heavily uh, involved with the locals. Involve the locals. They know how to get around these things. They know how to work through the red tape. They know who to talk to, who to stay away from. So so the more you can get the locals involved, I think that's critical. I think because if your story is going to be solid and you're going to have a good a good organization and really some some real results. You have to involve the locals, and they need to be part of it. They need to be part of the vision. It has to be you know from them. So it sounds like you're doing that. So that's what I would say first. And then the other thing is, then obviously you need to, they need to experience it firsthand. Um, and transparency is critical. Stories, an opportunity to go down and visit occasionally um, is what what I would do. Um, but you have a great, you have a great. Oh, my phone! I should turn that off. That's good. We'll just edit this out. 
keep buzzing here. So, um, so do I just keep talking? You can, you can edit it out pretty easily? Yeah. Okay. So um, how to get them involved, I think the transparency is, is critical. And having a good story, going back to that story, and why you, is it that you're different? Why, what are you, what's the angle that you have that's different than somebody else perhaps? There's a lot of people over there helping orphanages. Quite frankly, I, I, I'm very wary of orphanages, and I think a lot of uh, – yeah, some of the counsel that I might give is you know, a lot of sophisticated donors have been burned once or twice by orphanages overseas because it's scandalous, and people take advantage of the well-meaning you know, U.S. donor, European donor on, on hmm. orphanages. So I think – you need to differentiate yourself there and say, why is our orphanage different? How are we maintaining it? What's the what's the transparency? What were the actual results? Mm. Here's a result of something that came through and actually finished, and where do they yeah, go yeah. after the orphanage? Um, that may be just my personal bias, but sure. I, I've been involved in a lot of orphanages overseas that, that they, know yeah, how to, yeah. they know how to play the game. And a lot of people, yeah. I think, have, have, have experienced that as well. No, it's, it, it's funny listening to you today. I mean, so – the Canadians that we partnered with, it, you know, it's actually a bunch of people from the little farm town I grew up in that yeah. run that charity. Uh-huh. And so they've been going down in person kind of quarterly for the last four or five years. And um, uh, it makes me think, though, because I'm thinking one of the kids, so a bunch of these are sex trafficking victims. That This is their aftercare, right? And the one kid they just paid to go through school to become a baker so she could have a good employment opportunity. Yeah. She's decided to stay and then teach those same skills to the kids. So we're installing a bakery in, we're building one inside. Here, Wonderful story. Right? Yeah, yeah. And it's making me think like, because we've got filmers going down there this month. And I'm thinking we probably need to emphasize that maybe even more than I'd been thinking. But just talking today makes me think like, you know, yeah, we, so the government said, so some of the kids that they rescued um, that are in uh, a not very helpful situation, it's almost the equivalent of kid jail, okay, like mm-hmm. a juvenile hall. Yeah. They've said, if you guys build a bigger facility, we'll let your facility have guardianship of these kids. They'll get out of jail and they can actually get, you know, help recover from this PTSD and all this sex trafficking stuff, right? And so I've been so focused thinking about the building that we need to house them so the government will let them out. But today is making me think, man, we should be looking for more investment and be thinking about what local business uh, we that, could be purchasing exactly along with the building. You know? These people have to come out and they, have to, they need a job. They need a career. When they leave, they need somewhere to sustain themselves. They don't fall back into that trap and, of you know, vulnerability. So why wouldn't you say and, – and, and I go back to my experience with sophisticated donors. They gravitate to the sustainability. They gravitate to – they can see how hey, I can help you now and it will turn into something that will have has some longevity and some – so why wouldn't you say, hey, let's open a bakery. Let's open a let's, – let's do shoe repair. What, what, what other businesses yeah. can, we, can we teach these people, these kids, so that they can become proficient enough that we can actually sell it in the local market? And when they leave, they already have their yeah. two or three years of trades. You know, see, we, we've been dabbling with it, right? So we've got the bakery one that's the one that's legit and then there's two side ones is we're bringing these sewing machines that are like converted american ones that are converted into hand crank so kids can become tailors and we've been talking about doing like skype english lessons to try and help the kids get jobs in hospitality industry but i don't know i'm just feeling like just talking to you i feel like yeah we haven't put enough emphasis on that that well, needs to be won't that be well, that's the story in their local community all of a sudden instead of having an orphanage on the outskirts of town that oh yeah it's, it's another orphanage here's an orphanage where these kids are actually look what they're doing they're they're paying their own way they're paying for their lights they're 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 training the graduating seniors are are, are, are educating the, the the incoming freshmen um, it seems like that's a story, and that's what they need too. They they need they need to become well known in their community, mm-hmm. and that'll help the the local community get behind them and to support them, and maybe f- for to help you know encourage other people to do the same. Um, so I, I think we always I always tell my local doctors I said you know I don't need any credit. Nobody in Harare, Zimbabwe needs to know about Charity Vision, but they need to know about you know Doctor you know Sinanguri, and then they, they, they know about you guys. 
And so I want you to get all this, you know, all the publicity, all the media. And so let's do some things where, where, the, where people in the community are getting behind the work you're doing. They, they recognize you as the guy that's out there doing the humanitarian work. And they, they, they respond to you. And they know that if I need to buy some, some, some bakery goods, why wouldn't I want to go out there that I've heard about this, this great orphanage you know, on the news and in the paper yeah. and stuff? So it seems like that's what you'd want to do is differentiate yourself, create a story in the local community. Uh, and that obviously that story translates well for your donors as well. Yeah, I think you're kind of like inspiring me to like up the level. So it's as equal with getting the new building. Like we, we should be like have the mayor out to come do the ribbon cutting, you know, the mayor and For the press sure. to come do the ribbon cutting on the bakery, right? Or something like this. Right? Well, we, we, we find it, oh, overseas. The, the more you can get the local government involved, and there's a lot of, you know, uh, under, the, under the table things happening there. But, you know, when we do a screening, for example, in the school kids, with school kids in, in a community, uh, even though the mayor has nothing to do with it, we will do it in his name. He will be there. He will get all the credit. And it goes back to, well, I don't care. I don't need the credit. I don't need the credit in that community. But if I can give someone else the credit and it helps, then in that case, it helps. So now we have the mayor on our side. He loves it. Every, every quarter or so, he gets to look like some hero in his community. Well, that's good for me because when whenever uh, I need some help in the mayor's office or I need somebody to just leave me alone, you know, he, he's on our side. And so, yeah, why not? Why not give the credit to people that you need in that community to be on your side and get the mayor involved yeah. and uh, give some credit to some of those folks? Love it. Okay. Well, uh, before we go on to some of the other questions, uh, for the event in June, I know that it's like a super high demand event around here. Are there, there are tickets left or there aren't? There are, there are some tickets left. Yes. And you can go online and look, go to charitydivision.net and there'll be a page there. You can also look like cvfightnight.net. There's a few places. Just we'll Google the links it. to Google those. On, You'll have the links. Okay. Good. On Doug's page on Ideation Collective, just come to iCollective iCollective.co. On Doug's page, we'll have the links for all this. And and, and one sur- one one ticket will do a hundred surgeries, so you can do the math. Uh, it's twenty five hundred dollars. Uh, if you buy a, a, a block of tickets, or they're, you know, obviously we give you a discount. But so it's it's kind of a, a black tie. I don't want to say exclusive, but let's face it, it kind of is. It looks pricey. That was kind of that was kind of the fun of it last year, and we were we were you know bursting at the, the seams last year. We hope to do the same thing this year. So it's a, maybe a little pricey, but it's a fun evening. But it's a hundred surgeries. It's a hundred surgeries. You changed a hundred lives forever. More that's, than a hundred lives, a hundred families forever. Yeah. Because one, one blind child or one blind parent uh, has an impact on, on the whole family. Yeah. You know, there is that other thing of the, the trickle-down effect or the windshield effect. You know, I can't tell you, um, you know, I look, at, I look at people in my life that um, are just, they're maybe a little quieter about the good they're doing, but I found out about it. And how it makes me question, like, yeah, I know I'm working on child rescue, but am I doing as much as I could? Like, it's a contagious thing. Like, when, when people come to your event and they come home and say it paid for 100 surgeries, all the people they tell about that, they're like, what do you, what do you mean 100 surgeries? Well, like, first they want to hear about all the fancy stuff, but you know that conversation where it's going to go eventually, right? You hope, you hope, yes. And um, it is fun. Like, those good feelings are contagious, and people are looking for that in life. I mean, we drowned it out with food and TV and stuff, you know, uh, there's a lot of like numbing things that we do in Western society where doing something for good is actually more enlivening than yeah. those things we do for ourselves sometimes. For sure. We, 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 we count on that happening. We hope that's happening all the time. It, it gives your life meaning. It, it, you know, the whole idea of, of, of cause marketing, uh, getting your, your, your employees un- involved. You know, when we go in, a good example of what we said, when I go into a, a employer and say, hey, let's try to do employee matching, let's do some payroll deduction, uh, it's all about how are we going to help you as an HR department? How are we going to help you? Because the more your employees are involved in doing good, and the more they think that you as a corporation are involved in doing good, 
the studies are, are, are very, you know, uh, solid that, you know, you, you stay that employment longer. You're more satisfied with your work. You're more satisfied with your employer. There's all these good feelings that come out of it. And so getting people involved in doing good and, and, and helping them to feel good about themselves is, is, a, is contagious. And it's good. It's good for them. It's good for the employer. No, listen, we, we just got a partnership with Salesforce.com. Okay. You know, they've been giving yeah. us they've been giving us their software for years. Any but charity, any charity in the U.S., 51C3, if you have not gone to Salesforce.com and got software for free from them and you've not gone to Google and applied for Google grants yeah, yeah. for the Google ads, like do that immediately, people. But now it's to the point where we've got Salesforce staff that are coming. They're going to be going down and helping with some construction and they want to help with fundraising and then Salesforce will match what they're doing, right? It's like this thing. It's a like, win-win. We said they're probably thrilled about it. At are Salesforce. you kidding? He's like, oh, the the guy who's running it. He's a former NHL player who's now working at Salesforce.com, and he's like, oh yeah, all my all my coworkers, they love this stuff. They go on these trips to these different places, and they come back and they tell everybody about it. Like it's like a it's like a cool factor. Oh yeah. The Salesforce Foundation. We had Lindsay Canuvin from Cotopaxi on. She was at Salesforce Foundation. It was like five people instead of 150 uh-huh, back in the day, yeah. right? And it's like a contagious thing for them that tons of other companies could be cashing in on of it, like dollar wise for employee retention in these things. It is not, it is not expensive compared to other HR expenses. Oh, it, totally. It, 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 but it, the it, culture shift and the, like the excitement that it gets going around the office. But it's our job as uh, somebody that runs a foundation to, to, to educate them on that and to sell them. And instead of going to salesforce.com and say, hey, can I, can you give me some money? If you can go to them and say, hey, can I help you with your HR? Can I help you get the employees behind it? I got it. We should go on a podcast together and talk to lots of entrepreneurs about it. <laughs> <laughs> we should. <laughs> yeah, it's a great idea. <laughs> we could just find one. <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm a total book nerd. Um, seems like almost every entrepreneur and innovator I've ever met is is a, a learner. What, what are some books that uh, have influenced you in life? I read a lot of Jim Collins. Uh, when I ever get that asked that question, maybe I should think deeper. But uh, I, I've for years and years have said built to last. I read that book over and over and mm. over again. Uh, what, what specifically is it that speaks to you in that? Well, I, uh, maybe I love the fact that he's being he more or less says be true to yourself. You know that that is um, find out who you are. He goes and he, and he follows companies through you know the depression and post depression and who made it and who didn't make it. And he, he more or less he, there's a balance between. Trying to trying to change with the current fad and change with what's popular out there, but then not giving up what, what your core values are and who you really are. And and maybe it's just that speaks to me and my personal beliefs as well. That's maybe that's why I love it so much. But it's more or less saying you got to be true to yourself and you got to decide who you are and stick with it. And and uh, and that'll pay off in the end. So I, I love that part of it. Uh, crucial conversations. I mean, who who does who can't get better at you know the crucial conversation? I, I love that book. I've read that. Yeah, I'm super good times. at avoiding those. I can just <laughs> I can sweep those under the rug like anybody. You know, I'm good at <laughs> yeah. So that's another one that I've enjoyed. Uh, let's see, um, there's some sales books uh, that I've enjoyed. Um, I can't think of some. I, I, I I'm sorry, but I do read a lot. The only time I get a chance to read like I want is when I'm on trips. As you know, when you get on a plane and you're gone somewhere and you're spent 48 hours on a plane, it seems like you can pound through a, a book and, and i like to to read it and then after every chapter i might write notes and do a little do a little report as if i'm going to turn into somebody else but i just read it when i get done and yeah. remind myself occasionally but yeah i'm a believer in continually learning and uh, reading okay um now e- either early in life or early in your career is there someone that you feel like really set the example for how to treat others or like any experiences that you remember like standing out of like i want to be like that well, well i was i was lucky i, I mentioned that uh, as a family we we kind of adopted this this humanitarian overseas work and and, and 
to say that, I mean, it changed me. It, it, it's one of the large influences in my life, just having those experiences of going over. I remember one, one summer night in St. Lucia, my dad comes in to where we were staying at some little dormitory in some uh, Catholic church. It was, you know, the Sisters of the Sorrowful Mothers. It, was, it had a big, long name. It was some Catholic hospital down there. And we were there for a month. And I remember him coming in and saying, hey, we have an emergency C-section going on right now. We don't have blood. We need you. We need you. And going over there and ho- hooking me up and just directly right from me to her, you know, and sitting there during the C-section giving her my blood. Um, those kinds of events, they change you. And you realize how much how good you, you can do. How old, I was 18. And, uh, or, or, or pulling teeth, like I said, or being an operating room assistant and uh, watching surgeries and having to go in the corner every so often and sit down before I passed out. <laughs> blood wasn't my friend for a lot of years. But um, so those affected me. And watching my parents, I have to say, I have to first go to my parents. My father, my mother was one that she loved everybody. She loved everybody. And it didn't matter how dirty or smelly or poor or whatever you were. She, she didn't even see it. And she was an amazing person. So my parents obviously influenced me a, a ton. Um, but, you know, an experience I had when I first came out, I graduated in finance degree, got a job at Marriott Hotels, and I was a manager for Marriott. And I, I do go back to those, and I've talked about those a lot. They, they have such a high standard for customer and guests. I don't call them customers. They call them guests. Guest service and taking care of the guests. And the guest is always right, and you it's always full respect for the guest. And um, th- that was a great experience. And I think I, le- I learned a lot from their, their, their philosophy on how you take care of the customer. You take care of the guest. And, and no matter what you think, they're right. You know, and even if it costs you some money today, you're going to make more money in the short term thinking, long term yeah, thinking. Exactly, exactly. And so, yeah, you, you give up whatever you have to give up today because you want that guy to come back, that girl. And so, so I, I, that was that was a I, I, I took a lot of things away from that that first job out of college. But I think I have to be my parents. My parents were wonderful examples, and and I still have the opportunity. My mother passed away from ALS a couple of years ago, but I still work with my dad on a fairly regular basis. He still travels for us, and and he still he has a way. He has a way of People, when they meet him, they trust him. They love him. They, he, he connects so quickly, and that's, that's, a, that's a, a great skill. And so I watch him all the time trying to figure out, gee, how does he do it so well? How, you know? And he's just, he's just himself. He's real. And yeah. I think people can see that. That's awesome. Well, um, you know, I, I think about your story, and I think about this passion for sustainability and, and involving the locals. Um, it, it does seem like... You know, so many people, when they get involved with doing good, there's a lot of priority on being seen as the one doing the good. When you think about this, they don't need to know my name. We're trying to make the locals the heroes. Um, can you talk any more about that philosophy? Because I see, I see that as such a benefit to something growing is giving away the credit and not trying to do the like, well, I don't want everybody to look at me, but go ahead and look at me because I, <laughs> I am the guy. Let's face it. Well, uh, well, uh, here, here again, uh, it goes back to the philosophy. It has to be a win-win. It has, it has to work for them. So as far as your donors are concerned, in, in, my, in my world, my donors, uh, they have to get the credit. They, if that's what they want. Now, I have a lot of donors that don't want any credit. But if they want the credit, I want them to get credit because what, what good does it do me to have my name on that building uh, you know, uh, in Egypt? Uh, if, if, that, if that's what they want and that's what that gets them excited, then they should have their name on it. I don't care. It doesn't – the long-term benefit um, is to make them happy. Uh, same thing with the in, the in the local community with the local doctors. For us to be successful, I want that that doctor has to be successful, and they have to be the one that's known. They, they have to be the one that has the good reputation. Uh, for me to insert myself and say, "Hey, I want my name right next to yours," whatever. 
how does that help me? It doesn't, it doesn't, I guess it feeds my ego, but our long-term goals and our long-term mission does nothing. Um, you know, it just maybe confuses the issue because I have some name of some organization that no one has any clue about. And, and, and so, so that, I guess it's self-serving, uh, for me to be successful in the long term, I know that the people I work with and the people that I depend on, they have to be the ones that are getting the credit and they're, that they're achieving, yeah. getting, you know, what they need out of it. Well, and let's talk about the donor side for just a minute. You know, I think so often, whether you're looking for fundraising for a for-profit company or for a non-profit cause, it, there's such a, a temptation for people to see the, the rich guy or the rich family as a walking dollar sign instead of as real people. And, you know, you talk about this level of respect from the Marriott Hotel. Um, tell us about, like, so, you know, working with somebody like the Romneys or, or other high-profile or, or wealthy donor families. Can you tell us any more about um, just, like, bare bones? What about 101? Like, what, what is a rookie mistake? As somebody, they're getting out there and they're trying to go after their first big donors. What's a rookie mistake people make? I think not listening. I think going in and saying, hey, this is – I have this I have this need. I need – would you help me? You know? Hey, I have this thing. You know, boom. And so that's – that might be the, the rookie mistake 101 that probably is the most common uh, is thinking I have a need. And I'm, I'm just going to assume that they want to help me and they'll – they maybe forget that the the Ramis are probably asked on a daily basis to help with somebody somewhere doing something good, and so you need to recognize the fact that okay, they have their own goals, they have their own interests. Uh, I I I always tell myself when I'm going to go in and sit with somebody that's the first time, I'm not going to try to convince them to to give to a charity if they are or I have that in mind. I'm going to help them, you know, to my charity. I'm going to first find out what 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 gets them excited, what are they interested in, and and I'll respect that. I mean, if if you're into inner city youth and and playgrounds in in you know Chicago and New York then then great you know I'm all for it and thank you so much and this is what we do but you know I, I may want to leave with the, with the name of a friend that they might that I might be able to talk to and so it wasn't a total waste of time but um but yeah I, I think first the rookie mistake is not like we said before not getting to under, understanding what their what their goals are and what they want to be involved in and you know it's interesting if you talk long enough and, and listen long enough there's lots of times there's an angle that it does make sense in the end that, that you would have missed if you just would have gone for the quick sale you know prior hosem yeah yeah you may find that they're all about education oh well the more you talk about it the more you realize well you know we do have we do glasses for little kids in columbia and that's education and a lot of the kids are dropping out of school because they can't see the board so so we have an angle that we but you might not get that if you just quickly go no, for I, it. I, I love it i you know i think about like i think about like the my ultimate sales three pack of books right yeah yeah i think about this book um Jacques Worth wrote a book called High Probability Selling, okay. where he says the primary reason that uh, people don't like sales and they don't like being sold is this idea of being convinced. Somebody trying to take your agency away. So what if you did something completely different where you were literally just having a conversation to see if they were looking for what you're looking for? Not as like, we're going to fake this, but really I'm just trying to get you. Right. People right. can sense when you're trying to get them. And then there's this like, there's this Robert Meister book called The Trusted Advisor about like earning the chance to give your opinions about things and which starts, it's just like right. major about listening and trust right. building. Right. 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 And then uh, my hero, Terry Warner wrote a book called Bonds That Make Us Free about when we objectify people and, and uh, when we stop seeing them as counting as much as we count, we're kind of like ignoring what they're trying to get done in life, you know? Uh -huh. And as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking like, so many times, so when I was running my investment fund, we're con we, have a, we have a stream of people coming in the door asking for their millions of dollars, right? And uh, there is a major overemphasis on the pitch deck, right? And even now, people come to me and they ask for advice on their pitch deck. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I just really, you know, the fire hose has to be good. Like, I just want to make sure this fire hose is perfect. Instead of, like, what they should be asking is, what percentage of this conversation should I be talking versus Exactly. Like, that's like, a, 
<laughs> you know, I, I, I've given the same advice. It was like I, 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 I want to be like, hey, the pitch deck. Honestly, you, sh- you should fix this and this. But the bigger issue is that they need to talk eighty percent of the time. Right, right. You need to talk twenty percent of the time. That is that's way more helpful than switching your slides. I've order. given the exact same advice. I did, you know, and, and it was the same thing. And, and, and I say, ditch the ditch the PowerPoint. Sit there, look them eye to eye, and sit and Especially have a conversation. The points. They need because they need to know you. And they need to feel good about you. That's their first. If they don't trust you and feel good about you, that you're real. And I think that's maybe one of the issues that maybe some people struggle with when they get in front of somebody, a big donor or a big opportunity. Um, if they're just a person and they have needs and they have wants and they've struggled like you have and they, they can probably relate to where but you are. But when I'm stuck on my anxiety and I'm stuck on if we don't get this money, we don't exist. Right. And I go, me, me, me. Right. All of right. a sudden, my ears shrink. It goes 80, 20 the wrong way. Right, right. <laughs> you know, I'm doing 80% of the talking. Well, when you're nervous, you talk. And if you go in there, you know, yeah, you end up doing all the talking because you're afraid there's not enough words being said at the moment. So I'm going to fill the fill the fill the air. Uh, you, man, you mentioned that there was there was a study that, about uh, how people hate to be sold, hate to be sold, but also people love to purchase. So how, how does that work together? You know, I hate being sold, but I love to purchase. Well, it's because. Purchasing, people equate that with uh, with improving your condition. I purchase, I buy this shirt because it makes it look better. I buy this because I, I like the way it tastes. I, you know, I look. You know, I can get to work. I can save money because I buy this car because it's a gas economy. So, so yeah. There's a there's a, here again a balance of I want to I want to help you make the right purchase. That's that that should be the education. I wanna make you make the right. I'm going to help you make the right investment, the right purchase, the right donation, the right for you. And if I'm helping you to do something that you have a positive feeling about. Then I'm going to win. If I'm going to try to sell it's, you something, then we already know I'm already losing because no one wants to be sold. It's the confusion, though, right? It's the if I want to help educate you so that you can make your own decision, right? Versus I want to make this decision for you, but have you kind of think you made it yourself, you know? Right. And uh, everyone can smell they that can, second. They can, they can smell it. Right. That second situation, right? Donors, customers, funders. Maybe then. Maybe I go back to maybe your original question. Maybe one of the key key things to think about is you, you can't be too too uh, desperate. Maybe that force that feeling of desperation is what forces you to do some of these bad things, <laughs> as opposed to going and saying, you know what, I might not get anything out of the, this this person, but I'm not desperate. But I'm going to do it right. I'm going to look to know them. I'm going to create a good friend, a good ally. Maybe they'll give me a name of somebody else. And maybe that needs to be the attitude, as opposed to if you go in desperate, you start being a little too aggressive, a little too eager. Talking yeah. too much. You know, that, that cliche, uh, desperation is a stinky cologne, <laughs> right? I've never heard it. <laughs> <laughs> but, it it's, but you can smell it, obviously. <laughs> listen, when I think my job is to convince you, I should have anxiety that I'm not going to pull this off. People do not like having their agency co-opted. Yeah. When I think I'm here to have a conversation and see if you're interested in what I'm right. interested and it's in, work if it where's works. the pressure? Exactly. That's exactly right. And but that's the key. But it takes and that's training. that's the key to good sales. That's the key to good It takes self-training, yeah. right? It, tell, it takes self-forgetfulness and self-training to the, the delay gratification, to listen instead of talk. You know, it's, it's a practiced art. Without a doubt. This is great. I'm so glad we did the show. Thanks for being on. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoy talking about it. Um, I enjoy talking about this kind of stuff, too. It's, yeah. it's fun. Well, uh, like I said, all the links to everything Doug talked about are going to be on his page on ideationcollective.co. And uh, we hope to have you back and keep you in the community. Thank you very much. I hope to see you at the fight. And that's the show. Thanks for listening today. Again, if you're interested in the bonus materials that we will be producing, make sure to come to our website and join the Ideation Collective while it's still free. The website, iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. And as always, if you want to learn more about getting involved in helping the team rescue kids from traffickers, please visit iCollective.co slash child rescue.
Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara, cold-cut combo, veggie delight, or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.